Good to see you, church. Good to see you online, church. Great to be, be here and be with you and worship. I just want to say, let's shout to the Lord. Does that get you going? Let us shout to the Lord. It is He who we worship. Do you need refuge? Do you need shelter? Whatever you need, as the song said, it is the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, that we can run to and we can praise Him. Amen. I'm, I, I tell you what, you know what? Forget the sermon today. Let's just worship some more and sing. No. Okay. Hey, don't clap. Who clapped? Who clapped out there? Wow. We worship God through praise, proclamation, and prayer, and we've done that today, and we'll continue to do that. Let me ask you a question this morning. Have you ever tried to get the attention of someone? Anybody? Have you ever really tried to get someone's attention? Any parents in here? Grandparents? Okay. You know, you're resonating with what I'm talking about. You know, if you're really concerned about someone, you will try anything and everything, if necessary, to get that person's attention. I'll never forget one of our boys went off to college and kind of went off the deep end, so to speak, spiritually. That's what Lynn and I believed. And we tried anything and everything to reach that young man. Talking. Anyone ever give a talking to to anyone? Talking and praying and Going, I, I remember going to the college and meeting with him, taking him to lunch over and over, even calling a pastor, a local pastor in the community and saying, can you help? Please, we need help. Can you come alongside? All these kind of things. And even tough love. Anybody ever done a little tough love? Even finally tough love. And I'm grateful to say today that uh, the Lord got through to him and we're thankful for that. But boy, I can resonate with that, trying to get someone's attention. And here in Galatians chapter 4, we're going to be in verses 21 through 31, we see what Paul has done. If we've been studying, Paul has tried warnings, he has tried threats, he has has tried sarcasm. Do you remember when he said uh, he called them hypocrites with an exclamation point? He's tried these things. He's appealed. He's taken them to Sinai. He's taken them to Calvary. He has reviewed history with them, shared scripture, and now he's to the point where he tries an illustration. The big idea today I want you to think about is this. There are contrasts. In fact, there are stark contrasts, I believe, between the free gospel of God's grace and legalism. Let's read Galatians 4, starting in verse 21. Tell me, you who want to be under the law, Don't you hear the law? For it is written that Abraham has two sons, one by a slave and the other by a free woman. But the one by the slave was born according to the flesh, while the one by the free woman was born as a result of a promise. These things are illustrations, for the women represent two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai and bears the children into slavery. This is Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai, in Arabia and corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother, for it is written from the Old Testament, Rejoice, O barren woman, who does not give birth, break forth and shout, 
for you are not in labor, for the children of the desolate are many, more numerous than those of the woman who has a husband. Now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as then the child born according to the flesh persecuted the one born according to the Spirit, so also now. But what does Scripture say? And again, Paul quotes from the Old Testament. Throw out the slave and her son, for the son of the slave will never inherit with the son of the free woman. And then summarizing in verse 31. Therefore, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. Let's pray. God, I pray that you would speak your words today and not mine, that you would provide your understanding and comprehension, not mine or ours. So God, we ask that you would customize these words of Scripture for each one of us as you see fit. So we thank you for our time together. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I believe if you have a, a compass guide today, I, I'm sad to say I don't have one, but uh, is there a little chart in there on the sermon notes? A little box? Okay. That will help you out because I've wrestled with this passage. You ever wrestled with a passage? I have. The problem with preaching through a book is it's fun until you get to a passage you have to wrestle with, <laughs> and it's not so fun. But all these ideas, these illustrations, these, these different things, hopefully that chart will help you a little bit as you go through. Because obviously Paul, uh, Paul is writing and Hagar's been dead for a long time. So is Sarah and Ishmael and Isaac and all that. And we have to kind of figure out what's going on here. But we see starting out in verse 21 a question. In fact, this verse begins, there's a single imperative command in this passage. And it's right at the beginning of verse 21. He says, tell me. It's an imperative command. Tell me. And this command uh, ends up in the form of a question. It's directed to guess who? It's directed to the Judaizers and those Galatians who are succumbing to their uh, form of legalism. It's, it's directed to the people who desire to be under the law, living under, we could say, under law-keeping as a basis for their relationship with God. Now, let me just take a little side here and, and say, we should not live that way. Would you agree with that? But I want to tell you, it can be appealing to some folks. Legalism can be appealing. Just think about these things. For the person that enjoys that, uh, you're certain about a list of rules. It's laid out there for you, A, B, C, D, E, what you need to keep. Secondly, you can brag because you keep the rules better than that guy. You ever known anyone like that? I can keep the rules better than you. I, I'm, let me brag about that. And thirdly, it can be appealing to people because they get to take the credit for their own salvation. Isn't that sad? Taking credit for your own salvation. Why? Because you supposedly earned it by keeping a list of rules. And that goes against freedom in Christ the free gospel that Paul has been writing about here and here. So he, he talks about these people being under the law. Well, let's just do a contrast. You're going to do a lot of contrast today, but under the law focuses on what I do. Grace focuses on what God has done for me. Under the law focuses on my performance. Grace focuses on who Jesus is 
and his performance, in other words, what he has done. Charles Spurgeon said it this way, and I, I really like this, and it's helpful for me. The law is under a Christian. It is for him to walk on, to be his guide, his rule, his pattern. Law is the road which guides us, not the rod which drives us, nor the spirit which actuates us. Well, Paul extends the question even further when he says, don't you hear the law? Don't you hear the law? So Paul approached this matter with another illustration from the Old Testament. I think it's as if Paul is saying to these folks once and for all, hey, let's have a Bible study. Are you all right? Let's, let's have a Bible study. Remember Genesis chapter 16. Open your Bibles there and remember this story. Remember this illustration. Now, I think it's important to note that Paul refers to the scriptures often. I think that's good. Why is that so compelling with this group? It's so compelling because the Judaizer group thought they had a corner on the Bible, didn't they? They thought they had taken in, in, in circumcision and perhaps other things, and they have a corner on it, and this is how it shall be and should be. We are the experts, and they're drawing the Galatians to this. So Paul does a great thing. He's referring to the Scriptures He's showing them, I believe, hey, you're not handling the scriptures. You're not handling the Old Testament correctly. And he shows and will show that a true understanding of the law, yes, points backward to the covenant, but vitally it points forward. The law always points forward to the gospel of Jesus. And I've said it before, and you'll hear me say it again. We know the story. It should be much easier for us to know. We know the story of Jesus Christ coming, God himself, God in the flesh coming to earth. Virgin born, conceived by God's spirit, and he grows up and never sins and lives a perfect life. And people like us, sinners, do what? They don't like it and they crucify him. And Jesus dies for the sins of the world. That means my sins and your sins. And he doesn't stay dead. On the third day, what happens? He resurrects it, never to die again. In fact, more than that, he is uh, available and is at least 500 people we have notated in Scripture. The risen Lord makes an appearance there, and then he ascends to heaven, and the Scripture tells us he's at the right hand of Father God. Isn't that awesome to think about? Interceding on your behalf and my behalf. So it's important to see what the law points to. And we got it made because we know what it points to. Well, I think this illustration has an introduction. It's in verses 22 and 23 we see this. In 22, Paul introduces the illustration. It's going to serve as the basis for his argument with the Galatian readers. And Paul, do you notice at the beginning of verse 22, Paul uses the word for. It's a connecting word. It connects 22 back to 21. It's as if Paul is saying this, your desire to be under the law, verse 21, is not in harmony with Scripture. And here you go. Here's the Scripture. So he, he shares the story, and we need to read between the lines. I don't have time today to go back and read the entire story. It's lengthy, but hopefully some of you know the story of the Old Testament dealing with Abraham and Sarah 
and how they took things into their own hands. So we have two moms, just to, just to get your little box, your little graph there, your little chart. We've got two, two moms. We have the Egyptian slave woman. Her name is Hagar. And we have the free woman. Her name is Sarah. We also have two sons that are mentioned here. And that would be who? Ishmael, born to Hagar, and Isaac, born to Sarah. You see, the Judaizers emphasized that they were the blessed children of Abraham. Oh, you Gentiles, you need to come over to this blessing. You need to come and do this, 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 and this. Come over to us. And Paul knows what's going on with them. And I think if you look closely, he reminds them of something. Hey, you guys, Abraham had two sons. Be careful. Abraham had two sons. One by a slave, the other by a free woman. Now, Abraham's first son, chronologically, you remember this, was Ishmael. And he was born due to, guess what happened? You remember, Abraham took matters into his own hands. Do you remember that? Sarah was getting older, Abraham was getting older, and she could not conceive. So Abraham takes matters into his own hands, he and Sarah, instead of trusting God. I think this might be a good illustration of the axiom. You've probably never heard this before. Have you ever heard anyone say this? God helps those who help themselves. <laughs> Have you heard that? Here is example, exhibit A of this. If God has promised something, we should trust him, not take matters into our own hands. God helps those who help themselves. So instead of trusting God, this is what they do. And of course, if we know the story, 14 years later, that seems like a long time, doesn't it? But 14 years later, God does what he promised. Make sure you get that. God does exactly what he promised to Abraham and Sarah. 14 years later, and miraculously, Isaac is born. So we can see a contrast here in verse 22. It's a contrast between freedom of slavery and freedom of Christianity or freedom Real Christianity contrasted to legalism. Let's move on to verse 23. 23 further in, introduces the illustration. We see that Hagar's son was born. There's a condition there. Hagar's son was born according to the flesh, and Sarah's son was born through promise. Big difference. Ishmael was Abraham's son. Does everybody understand that? Ishmael was Abraham's son, and he was born according to the flesh. What does that phrase mean? It's not, it's not just the idea of taking things in your own hand. It literally gives us the picture of this. He was born through the normal means of human procreation, the flesh. Okay? But Sarah's son was born through promise. Yes, it's human procreation, but it's a promise that God gave. It's supernatural what happens there. And so we, we see that. According to the flesh, according to the promise. You see, legalism is living according to the flesh. It's humanistic. It denies God's promise. It tries to make its own way to God through the law. Warren Wiersbe, I really enjoy some of the things he wrote over the years. And listen to this, quote, Legalism does not mean the setting of spiritual standards. It means worshiping those standards and thinking we are spiritual because we obey them. It also means judging other believers on the basis of these standards. 
I'll never forget uh, being a pastor in, uh, in Bloomfield. And things were going well. Folks were being saved, baptized. Just, it was just a great time to be pastor of a great church. And people would come to me from time to time, and they would say, did you hear about that church? And I would say, no. She said, they would say, this is what they're doing. What do you think about that? And you know what my pat answer became? Because I wasn't interested in judging those churches, I finally got <laughs> to get people to quit saying, what do you think about that church over in Farmington or down the street or whatever, was this. I don't have time to worry about that church. I'm busy figuring out what God wants this church to be about and to do. And, and it's just, it, it, it's an attitude, it's a thought, because legalism always is judging other believers on the basis of some standards that that person has. On the other hand, though, Abraham's second son is named Isaac, and he's born miraculously, as we have stated. He's the son of God's promise. What does that mean? According to the flesh, human procreation, uh, according to God's promise, means it's the absolute direct fulfillment of God's word to Abraham, God's promise to Abraham. Look it up. Go back in Genesis and read those chapters and read the story that's going on there. I think in verse 23, we can see another contrast between a work done by God's promise miracle and a work done by the flesh or according to the flesh. You see, the real Christian life is connected to God's promised miracle not according to the flesh. Do you know that? If you profess to be a Christian, if you believe you're a true Christian, do you know what the greatest miracle in the universe is? It's that God, holy God, saved you, a sinner. Saved me, a sinner. I can hope for a miracle of this or that, and some people do that all the time, but the greatest miracle is that we are saved by God. Maybe you should look at the person next to you and say, it's a miracle you got saved. No, don't do that. Don't, don't do that. But you get what we're talking about, don't you? Well, let's move on past the introduction of the illustration. Verses 24 through 27, we see the explanation. Thank goodness. Although it's not super clear, you got to kind of dig there. So let me say something about allegory because that is perhaps in your translation and I've used the word illustration. Uh, though allegory was popular among Jewish rabbis, Paul used it very, very little. Go and look at that. In fact, Paul almost has this sacred regard for the actual history of the people. Literally, it's important to him. Therefore, when he says in verse 24 that these things are an allegory, he does not mean that this is unhistorical or fiction but there is a religious meaning to that which goes far beyond the literal account. In fact, uh, you might have a footnote in your Bible. Uh, it, the word doesn't have to be allegory. It could be illustration. It could be typology. It could be those things. And, and I believe this is really more um, of typological exegesis. Thus, my use and some translations use of the term illustration. If allegory is fine with you, that's great, but don't get it in some great myth that goes along with Vikings or with Romans or whatever. No, this is a good illustration of really what has happened. 
There's religious meaning to this story. So we get to verse 24, and we see further now an explanation. Hagar and Sarah represent two covenants. Now, we've seen that word before in Galatians, and we see it here again. And we, we know a little bit about that. And Hagar is associated with what? It says Mount Sinai, right? Well, what does that mean? Well, think about law and grace. Where was the law given? Mount Sinai. And Paul's reference to Hagar and Ishmael were pictures for these people, these readers, to see. It's meant to illustrate his point. Remember this, as we're looking at this, Paul, just like any other biblical writer, is guided supernaturally by God's Spirit, by the Holy Spirit. The Bible tells us that Scripture is God-breathed. It's His life. It's His revelation to us. Yes, through people that wrote and had certain personalities and lived at different times in history, but it's God and His Spirit. And so this is what's happening here, and we take a look at it. So he brings in another picture here in verse 24, and it's the picture of covenant. Remember, covenant is a contract, if you will, that sets the rules for our relationship with God. The legalists wanted them to relate to God under one set of rules. Paul wanted them to relate to God under the simple rule, if you will, of the free gospel of grace faith in Jesus Christ. So one of covenant here is associated with Mount Sinai. It's the place where Moses received the law. If you want to go back and read more of the story, go back to Exodus chapter 19, Exodus chapter 20, and you can read about that. This covenant, though, I think shows bondage. It is is what about we must do for God to be accepted by him. It puts us on a perpetual treadmill, if you will, of having to prove ourselves and earn our way. This covenant is clearly associated with Hagar, the surrogate mother, if you will, who gave birth to Ishmael. And it's according to verse 23 that we've read earlier, it's according to the flesh. But let's move on to 25. Paul explains further. Furthermore, this covenant corresponds to the present Jerusalem. Isn't that interesting? What is the present Jerusalem? Well, for them, it was the capital of religious Judaism. Are you catching that? Reading between the lines. You Judaizers, those who are succumbing to this legalism, the capital is the present Jerusalem. Guess where First Baptist Church was? In Jerusalem. Okay, and so they're dealing with this, and you think about Paul, and you think about where Galatia is. It's not around Jerusalem. It's not even close. It was a long travel away, and and all of Paul's missionary journeys away from that. So this, this covenant corresponds with present Jerusalem. This was the way most Jewish people in Paul's day tried to be right with God. They tried to trust in their ability to please God by keeping the law, and that was shared over and over again in present Jerusalem. But it gets even better, the explanation. Look at verse 26. We see contrast in verse 26. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. Verse 26 informs the reader and us today that the Jerusalem above, which is represented by Sarah, is free, and that she is the mother of us. Now, now think about this. It's an abstract con, 
uh, it's an abstract concept. It's not, um, it's not just concrete and simple. My mom's name was Lois, not Sarah, right? But you've got to know the story and see the illustration that Paul is making here. She being the freedom, the free gospel, the grace as opposed to law, that is the mother of all of us, those who are Christians. It's as if he's referring to the Jerusalem bub. Do you remember what Scripture calls that? Mount Zion. So you have Mount Sinai over here. You have Mount Zion, God's own new Jerusalem, the Jerusalem above, the Jerusalem in heaven. Can you see the contrast between Christianity, what started with these Galatians, what Paul had done with them, where they were, and now the drift to the Judaizers? It's a great contrast. It's a contrast, if you will, between heaven and earth. Real Christianity comes from heaven, from Jesus, not from earth. This covenant brings freedom. It is free. Is it any more simple than that? In verse 26, it says it is free. Why? Because it recognizes that Jesus paid the price and we don't have to pay it ourselves. You see, every Christian through the centuries belongs to this new covenant, to this quote-unquote mother. Paul goes further in verse 27. He cites Old Testament. It's Isaiah 54.1. It reinforces his argument. This next contrast suggests that there will, if you read and you'll study that, guess what's going to happen? Something amazing. And, and he's using the Old Testament. He's saying there soon will be more Christians than Jews. And we know that promise was fulfilled, don't we? We know that today. We see that. How do you think that went over? <laughs> Probably not so good with these folks. It was a strong quote against the Judaizers and those following them. So he kind of breaks that out and explains this. He introduces it. But what I want to really get to today is I think there's application of this illustration. And we see it in verses 28, 29, 30, and in summary in verse 31. Look at 28. What does he call these Galatians? He's using the word brothers again. It's a term of endearment. It reminds me again throughout this that it's not too late. It's never too late. They haven't all succumbed to this. There is hope, and he calls them brothers. Hmm. And he says, hey, you guys, you're like Isaac. You're children of promise. And it was a great truth to note, I just go back to our personal experience, that when our son was having these difficulties, he didn't lose his salvation. He didn't lose his Christianity. We believe firmly that he was a Christian. And his life today, boy, is bearing fruit after fruit after fruit. But that doesn't mean sometimes we can take a hard turn to the right or left. Anybody ever been there? You ever wandered in the wilderness a little bit? You are a Christian. You just were off doing that. And so he reminds them, hey, come on back, at my words. You're children of promise. And as Christians, we don't identify with Ishmael. I've not met a Christian that identifies with Ishmael. If I did, I'd want to have a long conversation with the guy. We identify with Isaac, with the lineage. We identify with the fact that we are children of a promise that was received by faith. 
And then in verse 29, Paul gives a then and now comparison. Do you have that in your scripture? But just as then the child born according to the flesh persecuted the one born according to the spirit, so also now. Then and now we see. Just as someone is born according to flesh, we've already identified that, Isaac persecuted the one born according to the spirit. Um, excuse me, I said Isaac, didn't I? Ishmael persecutes the one born according to the flesh, Isaac. Go and take a look. It's true. So also that is true now. And Paul is writing this to the Galatian believers, and that is still true today in 2021, isn't it? There is still persecution that goes on. You see, the Judaizers, in this context, they're persecuting the Galatian believers by these rules they're throwing at them. And we should not be surprised that people today who follow God in the flesh persecute those who follow God in faith through the promise. Did you catch that? It's important for us to note. The contrast here is between the persecuted and the persecuting. James Montgomery Boyce gives a great quote. He challenges me when I look at his commentary from time to time. He said this, The persecution Christians face will not always be by the world, but also and indeed more often by their half-brothers, the unbelieving but religious people in the nominal church. Isn't that interesting? He goes on to say, this is the lesson of history. Today, the greatest enemies, and he wrote this decades and decades ago, today the greatest enemies of the believing church are found among the members of the unbelieving church. The greatest opposition emanating from pulpits and church hierarchies. Don't get mad at me. I just read what he said. But think about that for a minute. It's going to be more and more that way. Are we a church that believes the truth of the world? Do we promote the gospel? Do we promote that Jesus saves? Or do we have a bunch of lists of this? They're popping up all over. Some of you have children who are involved in some of these unbelieving churches right now. It's a very difficult subject. It's very difficult to think about. But the fact is there. Just as the one who was born according to flesh is persecuting the one According to the promise, so it is now. Even more for us to be ready, as Scripture commands us, to be ready to make a defense of the hope that is in us, of the gospel that has changed our lives. Are you prepared to do that? We must speak that. We speak the truth in love. We speak the truth as we win the right to speak the truth, but we speak God's truth. We don't just go say, okay, whatever you want to believe. It, it can't be that way. I feel better. Verse 30. Paul goes back one more time to the scripture to hammer home this illustration. Genesis 21.10. This scripture records Sarah's demand of Abraham regarding Hagar and Ishmael. Do you remember the story? Seemed like a good idea. Let us take matters into our own hands. But after Isaac was born, there was trouble, wasn't there? In fact, Scripture will say that Sarah despised Hagar and what had happened. And so we see uh, Paul quoting Genesis 21.10. It's recording Sarah's demand of Abraham regarding Hagar and Ishmael. And Paul gives uh, the clear, though not easy, answer to this problem. And it's this. Law and grace 
cannot live together as principles for our Christian life. It, it can't be that way. But, 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 Lamar, you don't understand. This just resonates with me. This, 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 and this. No. Law and grace cannot be connected and live together as principles for our Christian life. Again, we've talked about it. I'm not throwing out the law. Paul didn't throw out the law. Christ didn't throw out the law. What did he do? He came and fulfilled all of the law. Again, we have the opportunity to worship and serve Jesus Christ who's fulfilled it all. It shouldn't be an issue for us, and yet it is for many. Hagar and Sarah could not live together in the same house anymore. And God told Abraham to send Hagar away. You remember the story? It was tough for Abraham to do this. He had feelings. It was his son. He had feelings for that. And yet this is what had to happen. The hard work had to be done because God commanded that. And for Christians today, we must reject the idea of what we do for God instead of what he has done for us in Christ Jesus. You see, once Isaac is born, Hagar and Ishmael had to go. In the same way, a person could relate to the law one way before the promise of the gospel was made clear in Jesus Christ. And a number of us here today would say that. We related to the law. It's all we knew. Did any of you grow up in a rules, a certain church that didn't share the, I know a number of you did, that didn't share the gospel, but shared these rules, these rituals that had to be done, even things done for those who were already dead to try to help them out just over and over and over. We, some of us grew up that way. But, but it, it can't be that way. It cannot be that way. Why? We are heirs of God through the principle of grace, not works. So even if we related to the law until we knew the promise of the gospel, we now know the gospel. And it's clear and made clear in Jesus Christ. So verse 31, we get to verse 31, and we see the summary. This is the summary of the application for Paul's readers. And the application is pretty simple and yet loaded. They are not children of Hagar, but children of Sarah. Paul knew the bondage of trying to earn his own way before God. Did he not? Was he not a Jew of the Jews? Was he not after the people of the way? Was he not after these Christians? Was he not sanctioning, condoning, even committing uh, horrible persecution, even death? Yes, he was zealous. He understood what bondage he was in as he tried to earn his way to God. He lived that way for decades. What about you today? Are you living in bondage today? Are you trying to earn your way? Are you trying to keep a score sheet? And wow, oh, this week was pretty good. Oh, this week was pretty bad. Oh, I'm going to hell. Oh, I'm going to heaven, et cetera, et cetera. Are you living that way? We ought not live that way if we're true believers. If God has come into our life and saved us through faith in Jesus Christ, that justification that we've talked about, we should be like Paul. He knows the bondage, but he's moved on. He now knows the freedom of living as a child of God, free in Jesus Christ. 
And we ought to know that. And I would ask you to examine your life today and make sure you understand that. Make sure you know that. Make sure you are truly a believer and you have that freedom because God has come into your life. Christ Jesus died for you and your sin and he has saved you. So let me close in this way. What contrasts are evident in your life, in my life? We've seen all these contrasts. Boom, 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 boom. And now we think about us in our life. Let me read a few verses of Scripture to you as we close. Matthew 5, 11. Jesus uh, speaking, Sermon on the Mount, right at the beginning. says this, it's a peculiar statement. You are blessed when they insult and persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. Is that a mark of our life? Are you out in the fight, Christian? Are you out there willing to be insulted? Because if you are out in the fight, guess what? You will be insulted. You will be persecuted. I love how it says it there. People will say every kind of evil against you because of me. It's what Jesus is saying. Now, I don't think we have to wear that as a badge of honor and just try to get in people's faces just so they'll curse us or <laughs> scream and yell at us. But we should expect it. And I, can I just say a pastoral thought for a moment? You can take it or leave it. If you have no pushback in your life, perhaps you are not sharing with lost people, you're not sharing with the world the hope that you have in Christ Jesus. That's a convicting thing that has come into my life time and time again. If there's not pushback, perhaps I'm not really in the fight. Romans chapter 4, verse 13. Are there contrast evidence in your life? For the promise to Abraham or to his descendants that he would inherit the world was not through the law, but through, get this, the righteousness that comes by faith. Has God drawn you to him? Has he given you the faith? Have you used that? Have you uh, responded in faith through his grace to receive his gift, his free gift of salvation? Is that evident in your life? And finally, John 5, 24. I assure you, anyone who hears my word and believes him who sent me, this, these are Jesus' words, him who sent me has eternal life and will not come under judgment, but has passed from death to life. Do you see that contrast? Has that happened in your life? As Paul is pleading with these folks here, what about you today? Has your life passed from death to life? We know the scripture says what? We become, when we're saved, we become a new creation, a new creature. The old has passed away, all that death, and these new things, life comes. And that's the crucial point today for all of us. Have we been saved by Jesus Christ? He has the power over sin and death, over the grave, over Satan himself, and he offers salvation to us. And if so, if you know that it has happened for you, are you in the fight? Are you a contrast that people can see? Let's pray. God, we just ask.
that you would work in our lives today. That as we see this illustration, we would apply it to us, these two covenants, and we would thank you, Lord, that you have saved us and that, that we have taken the faith you've given us and we have turned to you. And it's glorious for us to be in life and not in death. And God, I would pray that we would also look and examine uh, the area of restoration. Where are we, Lord? How are we doing? You have restored us into relationship with you. Are we sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with others that they can be restored? God, I think about discipleship today. Where are we along that line Are we disciples who make disciples? We remember your command. Go and make disciples. God, help us to be in the fight. Not because we're smarter than anyone, Lord. Not because we're more holy. But because, God, you have saved us. And we have the answer. And the answer is Jesus. Help us to be involved in that. God, I just pray you'd touch us. Even with a peculiar passage today knowing it's your word, it's in there just how you want it for us, and that we would be reminded of these contrasts. And God, help us to celebrate today, not just life, but the Christian life, the life we have with you. And we pray all of this in the name of Jesus.